It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ausbiz Live from our Brangery Studios. Great to have your company for the call, 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour on this Tuesday, the 18th of October. Uh, let's get stuck straight into it. Uh, joining the panel today, Scott Phillips from The Motley Falls. Scott, how are you, sir? Mate, uh, excellent, thank you. And yourself? Good, good, good. Volatility good. not getting you down at the moment? <laughs> so I can roll a Volatility is an opportunity, but it is a roller coaster. You're absolutely right. It's been a tough uh, few weeks, months, year and a half. Uh, that's kind of been the story of interest rate increases and inflation, mate. So no, look, you know what? The thing is, we've been here before. Uh, sometimes having a few gray hairs or maybe a bit less hair as I might have uh, actually is kind of useful because you've, you've seen this you've seen this movie before. It always feels different. The old it's different this time thing comes out every single time. And then people say, well, I know we always say that maybe this time it really is, yeah. uh, which is exactly what they've been saying since, what, 1832 or something. So, mate, no, look, it, it, it's, uh, it sucks. No one likes losing money. Don't get me wrong. But uh, no, it's just one of those yeah. things. It's a, it's a truism of investing that volatility is ever present. Yeah, exactly. Philip Pepe from uh, Shoreham Partners. Good to see you. We were talking about that exact thing just before we came on air. Was it volatility? It's changing environment. It is. I mean, it's one thing to read about it. It's another thing to live through it. And I think yeah. uh, a lot of people have been shocked at just how quickly things move. In our morning meeting discussion this morning about the quick reversal in the US overnight, nobody could explain why. Yep. It was all doom and gloom a day ago, two days ago, and then overnight it was all positive and nobody knows why. So what does yep. that mean for tomorrow? Yep. Uh, just makes stock picking a lot harder, but it also reminds people to focus on the longer term because I can't predict short term share price yep. movements and you yep. go nuts if you tried. Absolutely quite right. Keep it in perspective. All right, let's uh, get straight into the stocks that you want us to take a look at this half hour. Um, up for grabs, adjudication from you, uh, Kodan, near map. Mesoblast, City Sheet Collective, and JB Hi-Fi. Now that is a collection of stocks, um, which is great, very diverse. We'll get through them shortly, but uh, stock of the day, I thought we'd take uh, revisit Tyro, has confirmed it has received takeover approaches from several parties, including banking giant Westpac, the payments provider, says none are sufficiently uh, definitive or advanced to warrant Further discussion at this time, the company said all approaches received so far are non-binding and highly conditional in nature, adding it's engaging with select parties in order to maximise shareholder value. It is being wooed by the sound of it. Tyro told shareholders it will keep the market informed of any significant developments. In response to the statement, Westpac confirmed it is undertaking preliminary discussions to acquire 100% of the company said the acquisition would strengthen small business proposition should it proceed. Tyro shares climbed nearly 9% on Monday. Uh, Tyro, of course, uh, the uh, basically a, a business based around FPOS payment systems for small business. Scott Phillips, um, what do you think of Tyro at the moment? Or because mm. it's in discussions, do you leave it alone? And isn't it interesting, the big banks used to have a broad portfolio of interest, but have now basically become mortgage lenders, all of a sudden going back to small business. It's funny, isn't it, Koshi? <laughs> uh, you, go where, you go where the cash flow is, I suppose, to some yep. degree. Uh, I reckon Tyro is a steal at these prices, can I say, and it really is interesting. You know, the market hates a stock. It's down 75% or so, something mm. like that, uh, over the past couple of years. And then you see someone like Westpac come and pick it up, and everyone goes, oh, yeah, obviously that was great value. And you think, well, where, where were the investors back then? Um, I should disclose a partial interest. It's a recommendation of ours. I don't own any shares. Um, I think it's a really, really good price. I think anyone who buys this business at the current price will do really, really well. Tyro is is a great little business. It's super capital intensive, and it's actually probably picked itself a bad point in the cycle to, to try to be growing. Uh, we know that capital required. This is a scale business, and it needs 
you know, billions of dollars of transactions to make a few a few bobs. So it's a tough business to be in when rates are increasing and capital is harder to get. Maybe it ran too late. Maybe it didn't grow fast enough. Maybe it shouldn't have been started at the time it was. But that's why it's so cheap right now. Investors hating anything. That's either capital intensive or losing money or both. Um, that's Tyro's situation right now. That's why the share price has fallen. If you're a big bank with deep pockets and growth aspirations in that small business space, you're looking around saying, hang on, these guys are bringing something to the market that doesn't exist and we're losing share to these guys. If we can pick them up for, I won't say mm. cents on the dollar, but for a pretty cheap price, uh, you're probably mad if you're not at least looking at it right now. So I reckon anyone who buys it at the current price will get a very good deal. The momentum on this is really strong. As I said, still losing money. So you're buying it with that in mind. But if you're a big bank and you're saying, it's almost a two-brand strategy, right? You don't want yeah. to start making your terminals available, your branded terminals available at a cheaper price. But if you can buy something like Tyrone, run it as a second kind of cut price brand and take share off the other guys as well as yourself, you might as well own it yeah. rather than someone else doing it. And if you can buy it cheaply, it's a good deal. Yeah. If it's a share, if you're a Tyro shareholder, what should you be doing? And would you I'd be, be investing in Tyro? Sorry, mate. Uh, I'd be sitting in my hands if I was a Tyro right. investor right now. New money is a hard one. It's always a hard one because we don't know. So let's, let's play this out in a couple of ways. One is the deal gets done at the current price. You don't make any money. The second is there's a bidding war and you make another 10, 15, 20% maybe. Um, the other is the bidders all walk away, so no too hard. The shares drop, I don't know, 5, yeah. 10, 15, 20%. You say, gee, I wish I hadn't done that. Yeah. Takeover arbitrage is super difficult to do well. I never try and play that game. It's just too hard. Right. If you get a, a deal that's been agreed and there's a gap, that's a different story. Uh, but right now you're guessing. That being said, Koshi, here's what I would say. If you want to buy Tyro shares because you'd be happy to own this if the deal doesn't go through, right? right? So if you said, well, if I, if I don't do this, the deal doesn't go through, shares fall 15, 20%, but I'm holding it for the long term, I think it's going to be worth 50%, 100% more in, in the fullness of time, then yeah, for sure, I think it's worth buying. So it's a buy for me right now, but bear in mind, it's not a takeover arbitrage play. If the shares fall, and they may, if the bidders walk away, oh. I still think it represents really good value. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Philip, I, I always thought um, it would be a good fit for zero uh, if they wanted mm. to turn turn into a fintech or sort of provide financing for their, their business clients. But um, what, what do you think of Well, it's clearly Tyro? a good fit for someone. It was, yeah. it was a market darling two years ago, if you look at that yep. chart. And then, of course, we had COVID and saw small business struggled. Uh, I believe they had a trading update last week, which was positive. Uh, they talked about cost out and volumes holding up better than people expected. So yep. it's very easy to be pessimistic, retail, anything consumer driven at the moment and say, well, we're heading in for a recession, so sell. But yeah. as we saw, I think Bank of Queensland last week and Tyro also last week that perhaps we're not crashing as hard as people thought. So I'm yeah. more interested in the fundamentals that came out last week with Tyra. I think it was up on the day. Um, notice today hasn't really moved despite them admitting that there's a number of people circling. Yeah. Um, so I agree where markets have corrected the way they do, um, some good businesses get sold off. And if you're a genuine long-term investor and that might involve private equity or another listed company or another yeah. private company, this is their chance to pounce. Um, so I agree with Scott. Uh, don't don't play this on a takeover play. Only right. buy if you think it's the longer term. I, I do see some sympathy for the view that if we keep increasing interest rates, any energy prices going the way they're going, the fuel the fuel uh, rebate has come <coughs> off. The consumer may weaken eventually. In fact, that's what the RBA is trying to achieve. Yep. Uh, it's hanging in there. So the good training update from Tyro last week might not be long lived. But geez, cheap compared to a couple of years ago. Yep. So if I owned it, I would hold it. Uh, if I didn't own it, I would wait to see what happens with the takeover and see what their next quarter right. looks like to see if the trend is continuing or if it's just a, a blip. So I'll hold. Yeah, perfect. Hold. All right. Uh, let's get into the stocks. Uh, you want us to run our eye over. And uh, uh, first one up, Lily wants a view, Philip, on Kodan, the uh, metal detector uh, business uh, based in South Australia. Also, has communications division as well, but it, it's sort of dominated by the metal detectors, is it? It, it certainly was historically. Uh, recent acquisitions in the last 12 months, now about 52% of their revenue is communications, but that's oh, only that's recent, it. so right, it's still historic. Right. But yep. historically, it's been linked to the gold price, yes. gold sector. Yep. Uh, and I think investors still think of it that way. So it's mm. come off with the gold price. I think they had a, a well-attended strategy day last month, but it's trading at near all-time lows. No, yeah. So it sells communications equipment for armed forces, defence forces are obviously strong given what's happening at the moment. Yeah. How long will that last? Probably okay for the foreseeable future. Uh, but clearly the link to the gold price, um, which has been falling, is weighing on it. Um, so for me, it, it's almost 
two companies in one. Half the business is doing well and growing, half the business is going backwards with the gold price potential. And they've acknowledged that yeah. that's challenging. Uh, ugly chart. Look um, at that, $19 yeah, look, to $5. It, if, you'd held, if you've held on for that long, I would hold on uh, in hope that um, the, the, their acquisitions continue to deliver yeah. uh, earnings growth and that the gold price recovers, but I certainly wouldn't buy it at this price. So yeah. it's, it's a hold for me. Hold. Uh, Scott, what do you think of Codad? I remember sitting next to the uh, to the chairman at the footy. Uh, he's a big Port Adelaide supporter. He was telling me <laughs> it is amazing the number of metal detectors they sell to African villages when the gold price yeah. went up, and all the villagers would put in for a village sort of detector and, and go out and fossick. Mm. Yeah, Kosh, you're, you're dead right. By the way, maybe a plant here from the Kodan boss. I, I'm seeing some sort of Port Adelaide connection here, but we'll let that one pass. <laughs> Can I change um, it to a cell? Sorry. Oh, <laughs> Philip, come on. See, Philip doesn't want to come back, Kosh. For me, it's a buy specifically because you're the Port Adelaide. <laughs> no, look, I, I, uh, no, let me, let, me, uh, let me be clear, honest for a sec. Here's the thing about Kodan. You're right about, and that's massively true, when the gold price spikes, their sales go through the roof because it's worth time and effort to prospect. Mm. And there's good ROI on those metal detectors. By the way, can I say as a quick tangent, it's a great reminder of the power of capitalism. Like broadly speaking, <laughs> when we've got reasonably developing countries who realize there is a good ROI on that sort of stuff at those times, but not other times, that's kind of exactly how markets generate, it's how innovation happens, yep. it's how people pull themselves up, right? There's not an equal starting point, but a reminder of exactly how that happens. Just a really cool, a really cool aside. Um, that is the key challenge. The the communications business, as Phil said, probably reasonably defensive given the customer list. Not purely. Plenty of minds can go out of business in the wrong sort of circumstances, so we shouldn't assume it's going to be necessarily perpetual, but it's reasonably reliable. The gold detector business has in the past been really cyclical, and you do see massive crashes in volumes. They literally can fall, I don't know what the numbers are, but some of the two-thirds, I think, year on year. Um, if the gold price falls on the back of that, you've got to be really careful you're not buying these businesses well, this business in particular, at a cyclical high. That's the sort of challenge you want to be careful of. It doesn't feel like a business that should be cyclical, but as you've already said, mm. uh, the African demand is enormous. They've also had some issues in the past with counterfeit um, products. Uh, MindLab is their brand, and they've had some counterfeit products out of China in particular. They've done a heap of work to try and make sure that's not something that's going to keep hurting them. Uh, that'll be a bit of a, 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 you know, a bit of, of both ways. Here's my concern with Kodan. We know in the past it's been relatively cyclical, notwithstanding, again, Philip's point about the communications acquisitions in the recent past. Nine times earnings seems really cheap. But if you look at the earnings, they're at record high earnings, which, if they're sustainable and structural, means you're getting a bargain. If we get some element of cyclicality to those earnings, you might be buying nine times peak earnings. Now, go back three years, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, the earnings were, were less than half of what they are today. If they goes back to that level, all of a sudden you're paying 17, 18 times earnings, and that looks pretty ugly. I am going to put a cautious buy on this one, though, Koshi. It's a very well-run business that I probably would have said a hold to a sell without the communications acquisitions, but I think they're enough to suggest that there is some heft and it's less cyclical than it used to be. You should expect the future to be volatile earnings-wise, but if you have a long-term perspective, I dare say buying Kodan on single-digit earnings, even of record profits, I think is a pretty good place to start. So maybe I'll make it a cautious buy for me. Okay, all right. Uh, and next up, uh, Philip Louis wants a view on Nearmap, the big uh, mapping technology designed for, for sort of councils and architects, geospatial mapping. Um, what do you think of Nearmap? It's a sell for me. I believe it's under takeover and yep. it's uh, trading at almost the takeover price. Uh, I, given the register, I can't see anybody blocking it. Uh, in absence of the takeover at $2.10, I believe there's patent infringement issues being debated at the moment. Yep. So a lot of uncertainty, I think, saved, saved by the takeover. Uh, for the sake of $0.10, cents, I would be uh, taking that appreciation, uh, taking take the money, the money and, run. and run. Yeah, absolutely. Scott, take the money and run. Yeah, pretty much. I'm a hold for now. I, I, we had a buy on it when it was a cheaper price. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say sell just yet for the same reasons that we talked about when we talked about Tyro. If this was to fall, I do think there was actually more opportunity for shareholders. I wouldn't be buying now again for the reasons we talked about with Tyro. So I would say hold rather than sell. Um, at some point as it gets closer to the takeover price or closer to the deal being consummated, then you simply say, well, take the money because there's no point hanging on for the sake of it. So at some point it becomes a, almost an administrative sell. Um, for now, I think it's a hold. I think if it does get acquired, it'll get acquired at a pretty cheap price. It'll be a good deal for the buyer. Um, I would like to see this one remain on the market and available to Australian shareholders. The US business is just hitting its stride right now. 
it's a savvy buyer if they do get a deal done at this price. So um, I would hold it, not massively similar to Phillips reasoning though. I just simply would say, well, we'll wait and make sure this is going ahead. Because yeah. uh, if it doesn't, I'd be happy to buy it at today's price or a cheaper price if it falls. I think this is a good long-term performer if it stays on the market. Chances though, slimmer by the day. Okay. All right, uh, Jason. Um, Scott wants a view on Mesoblast, the uh, mm. biotechnology company in allergenic cellular medicines that was in COVID for a while. Uh, mm. Again, a market darling of the past. It used to zoom up when a new story came out, very much a story uh, driven company, isn't it? It is, mate. You've, you've nailed it beautifully. I'm just bringing up the longer term chart here. And then that COVID story is a remarkable one. If you think about what's yeah. happened over the last four or five years, um, the, the, you know, the share price goes from <coughs> excuse me, a dollar in 2019 up to almost $6 or $5.30 odd in 2020 in the middle of COVID and now back down under a buck. Um, that's Look, I think you've got to be careful with story stocks. If you liked the idea of Mesoblast originally, the base business, the fundamental business, it's as cheap as it's been in the last 10 years. And so you might say, well, if I'm prepared to take that risk, if I liked it anyway, maybe I'm going to buy it. I have to say it's unprofitable. It's a billion dollars worth of business, made profit in one out of the last 10 years. Um, this is not only a story stock, this is a this is one of those hope springs eternal stocks. This is one of those hopes and dreams, maybe possibly if I like biotech, I might buy a Mesoblast and maybe possibly a deal gets done. These are the ones that are made to look make people like me look silly because you pick a dozen, you say don't buy any of them. One almost by definition will do well at some point. And people say, see, I told you it was the right one to buy. So this is kind of one of those probability probability sells, ironically. It's, you know, it's the reverse, generally speaking, of a diversified basket. You say, buy a lot of stocks, Eventually, if you buy a lot of quality businesses that are priced well, you'll do well overall. This is almost the reverse of that. Generally speaking, with biotech, unfortunately, if you buy a basket, you'll do poorly, despite the fact that one might do well. Right. I don't know that Mesoblast is going to be that company. Maybe it is the exception that proves the rule, and maybe a dollar is a cheap price in the fullness of time. I would say, look, this was $7 10 years ago. It was uh, you know, well, over $3 in 2017. It was over $5 in 2020, as I've said. Um, that's proof that hope springs eternal, but also hope drifts away. If you like the idea and you want to be a cyclical guesser, speculator, trader, maybe this is a cheap enough price to have a go, but that's that's purely speculation stuff. As yeah. an investor, there is not enough to recommend this at a billion dollar market cap, so I'd be selling. Yeah, not for you, Philip? It's a complicated one because it's a cash burner. And yeah. in this market, mm. I'm, I'm very conscious of <laughs> cash burners. Having said that, they raised money recently at 75 cents. So they're cash funded for the near term. They've moved uh, forward with their phase three trials with chronic back pain. So I like what they're trying to do. It's a good portfolio mm. diversifier. It's a good long-term healthcare play. Yeah. Uh, and if you believe consensus forecast at one time, you might double your money. It is high risk. So to mm. Scott's point, um, do you want to be taking extra risk at the moment? It's a genuine bottom draw. If you can handle the volatility and you own some other stocks, they've raised the money, so they're probably okay for 12 months. Don't look at the yep. share price each day. Uh, it will be announcement driven. They've just put out a good announcement. The next one might be 12 months away. Uh, so okay. for the genuine, and we're talking three year plus investor, it's a hold. Uh, there are cheaper stocks in the market. So it wouldn't be my first pick, but if I bought it right. at 75 cents, it's moving in the right direction. It's, it's a, a hold. But have they ever got through a phase three clinical trial approval? Um, uh, we've, uh, I've been, ever since we've yeah. been doing the call, which is uh, sort of almost three years or two and a half years, it's always been in a phase three clinical trial for something. I'm yeah. not sure they've ever had anything approved, have they? No, well, I think and more companies don't. More companies fail than move forward. Right. If they hadn't have raised money recently, I'd say their cash burn, they're due for a capital raise, don't be there. Right. Um, but again, in a portfolio approach, I actually do yep. like the healthcare space. It wouldn't be my first pick. Um, I'd wait and see how quickly they move forward with the trials. It, you wouldn't put 100% probability on it. No, um, no. But the returns, are, the, I think the risk return is in its favour. Right. Um, but for the patient. You All need right. to be very patient. Okay. All right. Uh, let's go from uh, biotechs to uh, to retailers, and <laughs> two good ones to uh, finish off this half hour. Ingram wants a view, uh, Philip, on City Chic Collective, the uh, plus size women's retailer. It's an interesting company because I mean yeah. the market wants to dislike retail at the moment. 
because yep. of the doom and gloom, consumer spending, etc. But some of them have been putting out cracking results. If you're, especially if you're Australian, because uh, the Australian consumer is holding up well, half, more than half of their sales are Northern Hemisphere, so right. UK, USA. So those economies are probably going to slow quicker than ours, um, yeah. given that they grew, they grew faster than ours, uh, and they have had an inventory build and they had gross margins. Um, uh, crunched a bit in the uh, in the year, uh, and people, general analysts, don't like to see inventory build, and they worry about yeah. are you going to discount uh, the difference. They, retailers are between a bit of a rock and a hard place, weren't they? With supply chain yeah. issue, buying up big to try and get over that, and then you get marked down for it. Yeah, so that's that's what's been happening to them. Yeah. Uh, the difference between plus size clothing and uh, and other clothing is. It turns over. It lasts longer. Right. It's not far. It's not as fast fashion. So you right. don't buy a new pair of jeans oh, okay. every twelve months. Right. So the risk is that their inventory is too good. It lasts longer, and they need to discount to to clear the um, to clear the excess inventory. That's been reflected in the share price. So I'm tempted to say it's a buy, but at the moment I just want to see a, a clean print. Uh, in the current financial year to see are they are they offloading the inventory without having to discount how is the US and European consumer holding up yeah. so, and that, that's an ugly chart so for me it's a hold until they give us a data point showing that hey you've actually cleared this excess inventory without having to yeah. discount your yeah. consumers holding up okay then it's safe to buy it's close to a buy but let, let's see a data point from them highlighting okay. that things aren't quite a bit more up-to-date information yeah. uh, Scott what do you think of City Sheik? Yeah, pretty close to Philip's view, but from a slightly different perspective, actually, I, I try to be a long term investor and look through some of these short term problems. Generally speaking, if you've got an inventory problem over a three, six, nine month period, as long as it doesn't threaten your solvency and you can correct some of those either mistakes or economic bumps, the longer term needn't necessarily be impacted. Now, if that can be true, then when the market reacts to that short term challenge, you can be offered a bargain. If I think three, five years ahead and say, hang on, if and when City Sheet gets rid of this, this inventory, even if it does hurt profits in the short term, am I being offered a, a good price for what will be a five plus year hold? That's possibly the case, a big possibly. Citizenship has got a really checkered track, his, uh, track record. Now, Miller's Fashion Once Upon a Time, then Specialty Fashion Group, now City Sheet Collective, uh, very much that story of, you know, kind of different brands in a similar kind of space, but they've never really proven themselves to have a consistently reliable brand. Mm. So my issue actually out the three or five years isn't the imagery issue in the short term, it's how reliable, how sure am I that these are going to be places that people want to shop in three to five years time? Do they have the brand? Do they have the presence? Do they have the, the range to deliver on that? Fashion is incredibly difficult at the best of times. Solly Lou's done a great job with Premier, but most fashion businesses really struggle. Mosaic brands uh, was in a world of hurt, largely because of lockdowns, but also generally because they don't have that same degree of branding premium, if you like, or, or, or demand that sends people to those stores. They tend to be, while I'm here, or one of many in the portfolio. Yeah. So I don't love the business in and of itself. I just really can't look out three to five years and say, I know I have a high conviction this remains super profitable. It is too cheap to sell. And so at 10 times earnings, I wouldn't be selling it. I do like some discretionary retail at the current price. I don't think City Chic has the brand um, or probably the cachet as a, as a business or the track record as a business to put it in that top echelon though. So I'd be holding, I wouldn't be buying, but I wouldn't be selling. Okay. All right, then Scott, Sarah wants to know, is JB Hi-Fi in that top echelon? Is that a brand that you can take advantage of? Yes, and with a bullet, Koshi. I think JB Hi-Fi is one of the best bargains right now on the market. Uh, notwithstanding whatever economic pain may come our way to whatever degree, downturn, recession, whatever happens over the next 12 or 18 months, uh, I, if I look out five years' time and you say, is JB Hi-Fi a bigger, better, more profitable business then than it is now? I think the answer is very, very probably yes. There are no guarantees ever in life, but um, JB Hi-Fi is absolutely one of the very best retailers in the country, has one of the lowest costs of doing business. When you take the, the cost of running the stores and mm. pre represent that as a percentage of, of revenues, one of the very best lowest cost businesses in the country. Uh, branding is spectacularly good. People love shopping there. It's the go-to uh, place for, for most consumers. This is currently trading on nine times earnings Again, even if profits were half next year and then bounce back, if I look out five years and say, will I be happy to have bought JB Hi-Fi at nine times 2022 earnings uh, in 2027? I think the answer is almost certainly yes. Again, no guarantees, no promises. Um, with a nice dividend along the way, I think JB Hi-Fi is an easy buy for me. Yeah, and you look at that five-year chart, Scott, and it's sort of, whereas uh, most retailers' charts, except 
for JB Hi-Fi and maybe LaVisa yeah. recently uh, have just plunged from, from left mm-hmm. to right. This has sort of yeah. gone sideways, has it? And part of that is because the market likes it. Part of that yeah. is actually because even though PEs have been compressed, profits have grown. So this is one of those yeah. stories where if you, if, you, if you represent it on the chart, the profit line and the PE line and the share price line, it kind of neatly dissect the two. Because uh, right. profits have gone up despite the fact the PEs okay. come down. And that's one, of the, that's one of the key things is it's grown despite some of these challenges. Now, it was absolutely COVID benefited. It benefited from yep. COVID because we all went and said, let's buy the TV, the standing desk, the computer, the whatever else we yep. wanted for home while we work from home. And that's part of what investors are worried about is a combination of an economic downturn and a COVID yep. hangover will keep people out of the stores. I don't think that's likely, but even if it is, as I said, I, I, you can look through it. As an investor, if you said, look, I'll go to sleep now, I'll wake up in 2027, am I happy to have paid today's price for JB Hi-Fi? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and Philip, everyone loves the management, don't yeah. they, the executive team, and in tough times, that reputation sort of stands for something, does it? It does, look, this, is, this has been a great long-term buy, yep. and I do believe in investing for the long-term, and this yep. is a quality company that at a particular price, it, it is worth owning. Couple of short-term headwinds that everybody knows about. Uh, their trading updates suggest that conditions are strong in Australia, struggling in New Zealand, yep. uh, and they do have an exposure to the property sector through white goods and stuff like that through um, right. through the good guys. So it's not all smooth sailing, but the core JB Hi-Fi brand has performed well over a period of time. My my main hesitance is that share price chart has gone sideways. So it's been a good business, but from an investment good business versus good investment from an investment point of view depending on where you bought it's gone sideways and at the moment for what it's worth it's trading almost in line with analyst expectations so it's right. almost fair value it's not a reason to sell it but there's not a reason to buy it right given the um all the concerns people are writing about about the consumer if there's any negative data point on anything consumer related the stock will fall right and then i would swoop Right. I know that's being cute, um, mm. but it's a great business. I'm just wondering if you might get it cheaper after right. a, a tough first quarter or something. But it's a quality business. I, I agree with Scott. If you bought it today, you will be happier in 20 years' time. Right. It just might be cheaper in 12 months' right. time. So you'd might, have it as a yeah. hold now. For me, that's it's true. a hold. It's being okay. a bit cute, but for me, you may get it cheaper after a couple more interest okay. rate rises. Let's recap the uh, the first five stock stock of the day. Tyro, um, a hold from um, Philip uh, and for Scott, but for the long term. Uh, Scott thinks this is a good long-term buy at Kodan. Uh, uh, sorry, Tyro. Uh, Kodan is a cautious buy from Scott, a hold from Philip. Uh, Nearmap, a sell from Philip, a, a hold from Scott. Uh, Miso Blaster, a sell from Scott, a hold from Philip. City Chic, a hold from both. And JB Hi-Fi, a buy from Scott and a hold from Philip. Uh, here on the call, we've been tracking our own High Conviction Growth Fantasy Fund, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of the committee meeting for October is live on the platform at the moment, osbiz.com. Let's check to see how the portfolio is going. In that October meeting, the committee decided to sell Ardent Leisure after the capital return. Badcorp was trimmed. The investment in Seoul Pattinson was increased. Incitec Pivot was the holding there was trimmed as well and Seek added to the portfolio funded by Ardent Leisure going out and the Incitec Pivot trimming. Uh, let's see how the portfolio is performing since the 1st of March. It's about line ball and uh, keep sending in your requests for the call uh, because that's the first filter that gets up to the investment committee. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience like our expert platform with its second to none trading tools plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Uh, this half hour, we're going to talk about Dexus, NIB Holdings, Challenger, Megaport, and Queensland Pacific Metals, which has uh, been in the news over the last week or so. Uh, Philip Kellen wants a view on Dexus, the, uh, the big property owner, developer, and manager of um, commercial property generally. 
It's a sell for me. Uh, if you look at the share price chart, it's basically been falling ever since interest rates have started to rise. There is an inverse correlation between rising interest rates uh, and property investments generally. Uh, there's also what I would describe the new norm happening in the world where demand for fixed offices is reducing because of the work from home phenomenon. Yep. So the demand for flexible office space is, is going through the roof. You know, People want the ability to work from home, work from the office uh, as a result. We're still not back, CBDs are still not back to pre-COVID occupancy levels. I think uh, the expectation is for continued interest rate rises in Australia, DEXIS will probably continue to struggle until we've seen a floor, until we get back to perhaps a five day um, working from the office uh, yeah. environment, if we ever do. So for me, there, there's better places to put money than um, office space at the moment. So for me, it's a sell. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I was having a chat with uh, uh, a tenant here in our building here at Barangaroo and uh, they were telling me all the partners are back uh, full time trying to encourage staff to come back but you can't force them Um, and if you hire anyone new these days they go oh what's your work from home policy and how flexible is it coming in and uh, Scott that is sort of the name of the game while the labour market's really tight isn't it? It is, Kosh. Yeah, I think it remains so even when the labor market's not tight because at the end of the day, working from home or working flexibly is probably the better way to describe yep. it. has been proven to actually work. It turns out we can do a pretty good job as a society. Not every job, not every person, not every time, but we can do it pretty well. Well, your testament to that. For, yeah, 11 years, mate. We've never worked from an office at the Motley Fool in Australia. We have a small one on the Gold Coast, but uh, I've worked from home for, for 11 plus years. It's, um, and here's the thing. It's not right for every person in every job at every time, et cetera, et cetera. But if you want the best people, you're going to now offer it because the genie is out of the bottle. And good luck to those partners who are saying, hey, we want to encourage people to come back to the office. But if they say, well, hang on, my boss wants me back in the office and he's being or she's being a pain about it, I could actually go and work over there for Mm. that mob for the same price or a better price or even maybe I'll take a little bit less to work from home or work flexibly. The best people are going to go to the best cultures and culture now includes whatever working from home looks like. That's just the reality. Some people will be paid mercenary rates and have, you know, 24-7 access. Think about some of the partners of law firms and others. That's kind of the deal you do with the devil. The rest of us are going to say, well, hang on, here's what I would like. Here's the trade-off I'm prepared to make. And the best businesses will get the best people. The best, oh, I say the best business, the best cultures will get the best people because that's the workplace they create. So I agree with Philip. I think Dexas is, if not a hiding to nothing, I think Westpac re-contracted for 40% less space in Sydney, if I remember rightly, just recently. Um, that's the sort of situation that these guys are in. I don't want to buy office retail at all. That being said, Dexas looks really cheap. It's currently eight times earnings with a 6.9% dividend. Um, that's only 18% franc for the record, so make allowance for that. But that's the kind of situation. It doesn't look particularly expensive to me, but I think you, you know, there's value and there's value traps, right? Yeah. We don't know. This actually, this actually could be a bargain, honestly. In three years' time, we might look back and go, oh my goodness, hang on, we could buy this for 760. That's crazy. Look how people did come back to the office. Scott was wrong entirely about the work from home or the work flexibility thing. Turns out we all want to be back and we all are back in the office. Look how well Dexas is doing. That's very, very possible. But the, t- the headwinds are probably stronger than the tailwind, at least potentially. Yeah. You don't have to take a swing at every pitch. So uh, look, it's cheap. Again, I don't oh, I don't think I could sell it given the, given the price and the yield. Uh, any more expensive, I would sell it. I just think it's not a risk you need to take. Um, real estate, as Philip said, not only is it expensive as rates rise, but asset prices fall as rates rise, so you get both happening at the same time. I would generally give this a miss. I can't quite bring myself to sell it at the current price. If you already own it, in theory, own it for a reason. Maybe you disagree with me. Maybe you're trying to play the value. Maybe you've got a diversified portfolio. Maybe you're after income. There's reasons to keep it if you own it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think I would sell it, yeah. Okay. So uh, just in your explanation, then you said you don't like commercial or retail. So it would be uh, so, the same with centre group and things like that. So I, I would work, if I work down from least attractive to most attractive, I wouldn't own office at all. Yeah. Uh, if I was, the next thing below that I think is regional retail. So I'm separating the suburban, regional, right. and then metro, uh, right? When I say metro, right. I, mean, I mean large okay. populations. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So think about the, in, your, in your local area, you've got the local Woolies, that's shopping centers, Australasia yeah. and others. Uh, I think that's a good buy. The right. regional stuff that might be between your local and the local Westfield, or the Westfield 15 minutes away, I'd yeah. be selling that stuff really fast because right. online retail continues to grow. Westfield Centre Group I like actually because I think they remain the 
the meet and greet, the go out for lunch, go window shopping, actually make a day of it centers, I think they're probably okay. So in order of right. attractiveness, I would own the local shopping center, then I would own center group, then I would own, I don't know, probably neither. I, I'd probably sell both regional retail and office retail. I do like big box um, uh, industrial, by the way, big box right. property. Yeah. I think that's got a long-term future. The combination of bulky goods retail, but also just warehousing, Goodman Group, yeah. uh, the Amazons of the world are gonna have more and more yeah. and more warehouses over time. That's a good place to be. Okay. All right, Jamie wants a view. Uh, Philip on NIB Holdings, the uh, big health insurer based in, in Newcastle. Bit different to the other health insurers, is it? So, sort of skews a bit younger, does it? And they do lots of um, uh, branded health insurance schemes for other corporates, white label, don't they? They do. It's an interesting one. Um, I like insurance generally at the moment because they actually benefit from rising interest rates because right. a lot of the premiums they collect are invested in cash and fixed right. interest securities. So the IAGs yeah. and so they're going QBEs. up. Yeah. The complexity with health insurance, they've had a pretty solid two years because of COVID because yeah. people haven't been mixing, haven't been claiming, so haven't been going to the physio. So <laughs> we haven't been injuring ourselves because yeah. we weren't allowed out. Working from home, you're not you're not falling <laughs> over yeah. in the office. So it's two two contradictory forces. Um, eventually, the the underlying profits will mean revert. Yeah. You'd think, but you've got interest rates pushing it up. Uh, and it's close to fair value. So there's no reason to sell it. There's no reason to buy it. I actually right. think eventually profits will mean revert and it may struggle to outperform. And you can see it's trading below the capital raise price. They raised, I think, 150 mil recently um, uh, to, to grow into a, a related area. Um, there's no reason to own it. Uh, I'm going to say sell, not because I don't like it, but because yeah. it's close to fair value. It's trading below the capital raise price. Ultimately, profitability will fall because we'll start to claim at normal yep. levels and there's, there's cheaper insurers to buy. Yep. Okay. Uh, and Scott, the other issue with private health insurance is the government has to approve every bit of pricing. <laughs> that would really yeah. annoy me if I was running a business. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're probably used to it by now if you're an insurer, but yeah, you must hate the process. I'm sure there's teams of people whose job it is to create presentations and justifications, this dog and pony show they go through. I'm gonna disagree with Philip entirely. I'm gonna say it's a buy, um, but but for a slightly different reason that, than you've mentioned, Koshi, in particular, I think the benefit of NIB is it's run like a small entrepreneurial business. And yeah. ironically, despite the fact we consider it a health insurer, and it is, for the, for the most part, for the very largest part, every investment it's making now is for everything but regulated health insurance. So it's treating this like a, a cash cow business, Yes, the, the insurance premiums are tough to come by. Yes, governments. See, the other thing is not only you have to approve it or get government to approve it, the minister is actually incentivized not to give you what you want because they're the person who has to stand up every year and say, I, the health minister of today, authorize these people to charge you more. And that's just a really awful position for a politician to be in as well as the insurers. So no one wins from this. Um, what they're doing is taking all that money and they're investing in overseas traveler insurance, uh, incoming worker insurance. Um, they bought businesses in New Zealand. They, they're basically moving outside the regulated market and trying to create some value. So I actually take Philip's point, it's fairly valued at the current price. I think it's roughly right on its current business. But I think if you think of it as a, a business with then free options on top of that, um, or not free options, of course, but options on top of that, including the most recent acquisition to get into the NDIS health management uh, space, again, mm. an unregulated business. Um, I think that's going to be a long-term okay. winner. I think Mark Fitzgibbon and the team there have done a really, really great job. They're one of the very few insurers taking market share in a regulated constrained yep. space. Um, so really impressed with what they're doing. It's bet as much on the management as it is on the existing business. In fact, more on the management. That's where the value creation will come from. They won't create huge amounts of value from Australian health insurance. If they do manage to do it, it'll be outside that. Um, I'm giving these guys some rope. I should disclose, I own shares of NIB, by the way, so I'm biased. Um, but I bought shares for exactly that reason. I think I continue to hold mm. them, continue to like them. I'll be buying at today's price. Okay. All right. Um, next stock to uh, have a look at is, um, uh, is Challenger. And um, uh, Scott Sam wants to be on Challenger, uh, the big uh, fund manager, but a bit different, isn't it? That they're they're in more pension and annuity mm -hmm. investment products. Koshi, I am continually amazed at how badly Challenger has managed to do organisationally, despite what should have been the, the strongest tailwind almost in the history of the world. Not quite. That's overrigging the putting a little bit. <laughs> if you think about the volatility we've had in the stock markets, we started talking about that. There's a whole lot of retirees, a whole lot of boomers. Probably not many watching this program, by the way, because people watching this understand the share market. But a whole lot of people, like my parents, for example, and others, 
would have said, hang on, this share market thing, it's risky, it's volatile, it's all over the place. I just want to retire in comfort. Can't somebody please give me an income stream, like yeah. a pension, uh, that I can do with my super to know that I know that I know I'm going to get paid? That should have been the largest free kick, I think, in the world. Challenger have really, really struggled to deliver growth. We had a recommendation on this. We got it wrong. The share price fell between recommended it when we eventually said our members should sell it. Um, because we liked the tailwind, it just seemed like something, mm. and I'm constantly frustrated they couldn't make more of this of this business. It should have been a free kick. It should have been a great way to make a lot of money. It's just straight arbitrage, right? You you take on the volatility insurance job, you pay yeah. a lower return, you bank the difference. It's not without its risks. Of course it's not because you've got to be able to fund that volatility difference when you have challenges. Um, but gee, I mean, if you can't sell annuities to people over the last two years, let alone 10 years, mm -hmm. given the GFC, given the COVID crash, everything in between and since, um, maybe maybe, maybe I was wrong about the idea. Maybe the tailwind isn't as strong as I thought. In any event, Challenger haven't been able to capitalize. I don't see them being able to do it. Currently 20 odd times trailing earnings. Um, I want to like the space conceptually. I like what they're trying to do. They haven't been able to do it, which either means I'm wrong or they're wrong or both. Uh, it's a sell for me. Right. Uh, Philip, does this play into your uh sort of insurance um, sort of sector that, that you were talking about earlier that yeah. benefit from rising interest rates? It benefits from rising interest rates. It benefits from the um, increased or returning interest to life insurance post the hate inquiry. It's now mm. a safer yep. place to invest. Uh, and yeah, as mm. Scott was saying, they should be selling a lot of annuities at the moment because there are reasons for people to invest in annuities. Yep. Part of their business is funds management and 38% of their funds management business is in equities and their funds management has gone backwards uh, since year end. So it will get marked to market. Um, as Scott was saying, it could be doing a lot better. It hasn't. Uh, I come down to valuation. Uh, the risks, the positives and the negatives are basically balanced in the current share price. So it's not expensive, but it's not cheap. Yep. So in a market with screaming bargains at the moment, um, this isn't a must own. So it's a sell based on, look, it's at fair value in the market that's cheap. You're better off investing in something else rather okay. than something that's fair value. So it's a sell on valuation. And, and as we always point out, if you've just got 20, 25 stocks in your portfolio, yep. um, there are easier ways to make money than yeah. this one at the moment. Um, is Megaport one of them? Philip uh, Cotter wants to know. The uh, uh, the uh, Everyone calls it a, a data centre business, a sort of business that connects businesses to data centres. I also notice it's uh, in the top 10 in terms of uh, investors shorting it on the market at the moment. Is that, does, it, does that play into your thinking with a stock like Megaport? You kind of wonder why people want to short it. I think that's because of valuation. On uh, before today's share price moves, which were strong, I think it's on something like a hundred times PE or something. It's it's on a ridiculous wow. multiple. Okay. Um, that, that may be slightly accurate. The reason for that is again, it's a cash burner. It's a tech stock. It'll be profitable according to analysts in circa 2025 or something. So it's a fair. Way. It's, it is in the right space. It's connecting data centers. It's cloud driven. It, it is yep. the future. Having said that, there are a lot of the, there are a lot of these companies around, and if you if you go back three years and you look at what projections were for today, we're not there yet. Yep. So we're now three years away from profitability in, in the space, but staff costs have gone up, interest costs have gone up, lease costs have gone up, all the costs have gone up, and the revenue is further away. Mm. Um, it's a business I want to like. It just concerns me that it is. Um, a cash burner, and I'm cautious. I think it's up strongly today because of the tech stock bounce yeah, in the, the US. Last night. Yep. So it is volatile. Uh, for me, it's too early to be ploughing back into the cash burning tech stocks. Uh, there are plenty of uh, there are plenty of tech stocks making money that are, are trading at one to two year or near two year lows because of the correction. Right. I would focus more on the profitable tech companies uh, rather than I want to like this company, but the reason for the short is probably because of valuation and because we yeah. know costs are going up and we hope that the yieldy stream will keep growing and hit analyst targets. 2025 yeah. is too far away for me to, to focus on. And, and as you said, there are some good stocks in that sector as well, aren't yeah. there? Uh, Macquarie, uh, which owns Canberra Data Centres, yeah. NextDC, Altium, Tech, just in yeah. the broader tech space. Uh, those uh, platform stocks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Scott, Megaport? Philip's exactly right, I think, right across the board in terms of how the market's thinking about this company. The fact it is burning cash and may or may not have to raise future capital. I do think this is probably one of the better speculative buys on the market, though, despite all of that. And it does come down to that 2025 
time frame? Do you believe it can get there? Do you believe the long-term business is attractive enough? Do you believe, or can you have uh, the stomach for the volatility that will entail holding this company for three plus years and waiting for that to possibly happen? It's big risk, uh, really risky. The, the idea is fantastic. It's a, it's a modern, more modern take on the original Vocus story, which is install some capacity, sell that capacity to multiple customers for far more than it would if you had to buy the, the whole capacity of a single job. It's, it's timeshare for the internet. And, uh, and I think that's a really, really smart, attractive way to do this. You all want the capacity. You're not all going to use it at the same time. So everyone pays more than they would if they bought it individually, but you get to get your share of it, your sliver of it. Uh, again, as a group, everyone overpays, but it's worth it because you don't have to pay the whole thing. That is a really attractive model. It's fractionalizing the usage, and I think that's really smart. So I like the Megaport business. I like what they're trying to do. Devin Slattery knows Slouch, knows exactly what he's doing in this space. I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't buy it if I was a conservative investor. I wouldn't buy it because it has a super high probability of success. If you buy this one, you are literally saying, hey, this could do really, really well, or I could do my dough or a large chunk of it. That's the deal you'd have to make with yourself if you're gonna buy this one. I reckon from the current price, there's a better than even chance that you do well. Uh, but there's not a high probability, and I don't know how big the upside is given it's already a $1.2 billion company. So if you have the stomach for volatility, if you're prepared to take a risk of this going very badly, potentially, it's certainly a little bit badly um, in, in all probability, but also could go reasonably or very well, this is probably one of the smartest speculative bets out there. Uh, so with that in mind, I will call it a speculative buy, but Philip is absolutely right on everything else he said, particularly in terms of the market appetite, uh, and the need for cash potentially right. down the track. Okay, all right. So a buy, but hold on for the ride. <laughs> and, and only with a, you know, the usual. So small portion of your portfolio, yep. be diversified, expect you might lose it all or, or a large chunk of it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think if you, this yeah. is the sort of business that I think is a, okay. a smarter speculative. Right. Just, just a question. These sorts of stocks in, a, in your portfolio, what percentage would they make up as... As a, as a total, to just put a bit of perspective mm -hmm. on how you professionals think? Yeah, really good question, mate. Look, it should depend on everything in terms of life stage, money, need, comfort, yep. volatility, all that kind of stuff. I think you can allocate up to 10% of your portfolio if you're right. that sort of investor um, to these sorts of businesses. And each one probably shouldn't be more than maybe 1% of the portfolio or something right. like that. So 10 smartly chosen businesses that make up 10% of your portfolio, if you're looking for that sort of thing, is probably a reasonable way to play it. Um, others would say okay. more because they're, they're happy to take more risk or, or have longer yeah. time frames or whatever. Others will say, you know what, I don't need any of that and that'd be completely fine by me. Um, I don't think anyone should buy this unless they absolutely want to and feel like they have the stomach for it. Don't do it because you've got the FOMOs because uh, that's going to lead you, lead you astray. Yeah. But if you can smartly yeah. choose uh, uh, you know, 10 speculative stocks with good odds, um, I think that's one of those uh, ways you probably really your portfolio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Philip, look, I agree. Just for I was going to suggest ten percent as well, but it depends on your cash flow requirements and how far yeah. you are from retirement. Megaport is in the right space. It is a long-term growth category. We're all moving in that direction. The price, as I said, if you can stomach the volatility, it's a bit like miso bus. You buy some bottom drawer, don't look at it every day, but you don't yeah. want ten of those stocks in the portfolio. It is more, just look at today's price. It is quite volatile. It certainly shouldn't be the only stock you own. No, uh, no, It depends no, on how many no, others you own. No. But yeah, it, it Keep is. Keep it in perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, our final stock, a uh, really interesting one. Nick wants a view, uh, Scott, on Pacific, Queensland Pacific Metals. It's in the, what do we call them, the, the battery metal space in terms of nickel. Mm -hmm. uh, and General Motors, GM, bought into it only uh, in the last couple of weeks. Look, what I really like about this space is you're seeing lots of deals being done with and by the big potential battery users. And that gives the market a whole lot of confidence for companies like this. They are trying to put their foot on supply right now. Yeah. And that's interesting in, the, in terms of the commodity prices, because what they're really saying is, hey, we are a little bit concerned that if this really takes off, we won't be able to find enough supply in the short to medium term. And while investors should be long term by definition, a company CEO who can't get enough nickel in 2024 is probably going to get fired. Right. And so there's, there's a real mismatch <laughs> here between the different incentives and the different approaches different companies are taking. So yes, it's positive, but these big companies are saying, hey, let's do a deal. Tesla signed off-take agreements with, with other businesses, for example. Um, so the, this, is a, this is a vote of confidence in terms of the short to medium term supply requirement and the concerns that big companies have those supply may not be enough. As an investor, I don't know what happens to share price over the next year or two. Uh, I never pretend to. I've never said I do. Some people will want to make that bet. That's up to them. 
I'm looking out three to five years. And I don't know what supply response looks like over that time frame. And I don't know, therefore, what the prices will be over that time frame. And that's the key challenge for investors is not, is there supply, is there product, is there, is there material? The answer is almost certainly yes across the board. Again, as I've said many, many times, what's the cost of getting it out of the ground? What are your operational costs on top of that? How much can you sell it for over time? And what does that do to the profitability of the business? Lastly, on the basis of that profitability, how much should you pay for it? Now, that's yeah. a lot of ifs stacked on top of each other. <laughs> so GM can say, oh, this massive balance sheet, I have a, a, a career risk of not having enough nickel. I'm going to put a foot on this volume. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. As an investor, unless you know, and by the way, if, if GM, once GM's done that, the share price reflects that now, not in two years. Yeah. So the question is now what happens from here? That's already no knowledge. That's already priced in. From here, what happens? I don't know the answer to that, Koshi. I am hopeful of an EV revolution. I'm hopeful, by the way, on top of that, that we find a heap more supply and keep the prices down because that's good for everybody. Mm. Uh, but I don't know the odds of either of those two things happening. And if you don't know, you're not confident of those odds, I think investing on that basis becomes a bit of a dartboard exercise. Um, right. Megaport, I said, was a speculative buy because you can see the cost, you can see the revenues, you can see the, the up-ramping of that. That makes a whole lot more sense. When you're looking at something and saying, maybe there might be a demand yeah. for this, maybe at a decent price, maybe at a decent level of profitability, and maybe it justifies today's price. If you want to do that, knock yourself out. I want to find higher probability yeah. bets. And Philip, um, to Scott's point, GM has put $32 million into it, which just to get their foot on supply, if to take their foot off and lose $32 million, yeah. just a, a drop in the bucket for them, is it? It's a rounding error, but also they've committed to future, I think it was 150 mil in the future. Yes. If, yep. um, so that's if one thing off. this company has going for it. I mean, if you look at the chart up earlier and you can plot any battery technology company yep. over the last few years, there's all this excitement. I've got people expecting it happens quicker than it does and yeah. then we get bored or things take longer and then the yeah. stocks rally. This is a speculative space. Um, yeah. you know, it's impacted not just by the uh, cost of the price of the commodities that go into the battery, but oil price. Oil price falls, it's what's cheaper to put petrol in the car, not yeah. fuel. Uh, um, energy prices continue to rise, it costs more to charge the vehicle. So there's a lot of moving parts. Um, if it wasn't for the, the um, GM contract, I would say this is highly speculative. You don't need to be there at the moment. Yep. GM gives us some credibility. The share price has moved. Right. So it moved instantly, as Scott said. The market now knows about this. There's no new news. Yep. No one else can come over the top. So tick if you owned it. I wouldn't chase it now. If you if you held it, you'd probably just hang on and see see how it plays right. out. But I wouldn't chase it at this okay. price. Hold but, it if you've got it. It's a hold if you got it, but I wouldn't chase this place okay. at the moment. All right, let's recap the final five stocks. Uh, Dexas, uh, a hold from Scott, a sell from Philip. Uh, NIB, uh, a sell from uh, Philip, a buy from Scott. Uh, challenger or sell from both. Uh, Megaport, a no from Philip, a spec buy. Um, one of your your 10, sort of uh, only 1% of your portfolio, um, if you uh, if you believe in the space. Uh, and Queensland Pacific Metals, a hold from Philip, a no from Scott. Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool, always great to have you aboard, mate. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. Good to see Thanks, you. Thanks, Koshy. You nice to see you, Philip. Thanks, Philip Pepper from Shore & Partners, likewise. Good to have you. Thanks, Koshy. Uh, that's it for the uh, show from today. Coming up on the small caps, uh, next, Claude Walker from A Rich Life gives us three small cap stocks reporting today. He'll tell you the stocks, whether they're a buy, hold or a sell. Um, also, if you uh, want us to look at any stocks and for me to put them to our expert panel, flick me an email, the call at today, or tweet us using the at TV handle. A reminder, you can see all the stocks in the calls portfolio at osbiz.call forward slash portfolio. That's it for us. See you same time tomorrow, midday Australian Eastern Daylight Time for another edition of The Call. In the meantime, stand by for small caps.